everybody out there in podcast land. You have dialed into Combat Sports with Rhino. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and do something a little different. I'm going to introduce my Twitter liaison early on in the show because she needs to be recognized for the great job she does. Uh, Bailey, why don't you go ahead and take it away and introduce yourself to the people. Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Combat Sports with Rhino this week. I can't wait for all the great Twitter questions from MMA Twitter. Okay, so what we have the show, what we have on the show today is a little bit different because of the incredible desert that the combat sports landscape was for this weekend. We have decided to go ahead and do a question and answer exclusive show. So we are going to be going fully on Twitter, fully interactive with my beautiful, wonderful MMA familia. Uh, our first question I know comes from Laura Purple Pants and Bailey. Take it away. Everyone seems to be counting Roxy out of the fight with Barber. Macy has looked good lately, but Roxy is never one to be counted out. How do you think the fight ends? Yeah, that's definitely that's a great question, Laura. The, yes, most people really are giving Roxy very slim to none chance uh, to go ahead and get this fight with Barber. The, the thing about it is really boils down to this. Roxy has got to take the fight to the ground. Uh, her best path to victory is to uh, be able to somehow get a clinch, get Macy on the ground, impose uh, not too much ground upon. I'd really like to see actually like a grind out victory for Roxy. I feel like that's her only way to go. Uh, Macy is such a strong striker. It would be a terrible idea to stand and trade with her. Uh, Roxy has a huge resume, dude. She's 23 and 16. She's been in the fight game a long time. The contrast to that is that Macy's only had eight fights, but she's 8-0, and and she's looked like a freaking buzzsaw going through the division. I love Roxy, okay? Full disclosure. I love her jiu-jitsu, her attitude. I mean, the nickname of Happy Warrior, you don't get better than that. That's so cool. Uh, she does these great outfits for the weigh-ins, usually video game-themed or anime-themed. Love, love, love Roxy. And I don't really like Macy Barber. I don't like her attitude. I don't like the tactics that she used to try to, you know, force Paige Van Zandt into a fight with her. Not a fan of her at all. Um, the only way that I see Roxy being able to win this fight is to grind out a decision or maybe pull the rabbit out of a hat and get a, you know, a quick submission. Uh, but I just don't see that happening. As much as it hurts my heart and pains me to say, I think Roxanne Modafferi loses to Macy Barber by unanimous decision 30-27. to 27. So, sorry, Juice. I know that hurts you just as much as it hurts me, but it does. Our second question comes from my boy Gator, and that is... I've been wondering, who is the most talented fighter to have put it all together and achieved the success and was expected of that was expected of them? Simple. Chris actually inspired the question, and it got me thinking. Yeah, the, the that's a great question, too. The I've thought about this one prior to as well. Um, this really gave me a chance to delve into this. Uh, so basically, who was the person who had the most tools in the toolbox? Who's the person that had you know, the upside, the, the, the potential, and then has not really reached or never really did reach it. And I went back and forth for a while. I really came to the conclusion of Uriah Hall. Again, it's not something I like saying because I really like Uriah Hall. I like his attitude. I like the way he strikes. I like so much about him. The only other guy I was thinking about could, I could possibly put into that slot would be Aaron Pico uh, because he came in with such a huge groundswell of publicity. Um, but he's still so young in his career, even though he's taking those couple L's over in Bellator. I really I, I couldn't do that to Aaron. I didn't think that was quite fair. So, yeah, Uriah Hall is the one who came to mind the most. Uriah Hall came in like a barn burner from the Tough House, right? I mean, he had that most devastating KO the Tough House has ever seen. That high kick broke the guy's jaw. I mean, he came in looking like, I mean, the next coming, right, at, one, at 185. So 
uh, what happened in the finals of Tough House was him and Kelvin Gastelum fought to a very close split decision. To me, from what I saw from Uriah Hall, he had the size, the length, the striking. Uh, I mean, all the things, all the tools you need to really be a superstar in MMA. Uh, unfortunately, what happened was once he got into the UFC itself, it was real up and down, right? The guy has some phenomenal victories over some huge name UFC studs. I don't know if everybody knows this. He's got a win over Tiago Santos, right? He's got a win over Chris Lieben. He has a win over Gegard Mousasi, multiple-time champion. Christoph Jocko, the guy has beat some huge names. He also has faltered and has lost to some other really good guys. He lost to Bobby Knuckles. He lost to Derek Brunson. He lost to Paulo Costa. Uh, he even lost a split decision to John Howard. So it, it's such a roller coaster of a career. The the only thing I could think of is it has to be, and I think he's, he's alluded to this at times as well, is the mental aspect of things. I know... For just talking about myself, I was always so nervous before a fight, and I know it affected me in a few of them. Uh, I think he's had the same deal. You know, he has a very – he's a sensitive guy, and I'm not knocking him at all. I love the dude, uh, but I know he's a sensitive guy, and he has a lot of – uh, self-doubt, which most fighters do, but I think it affected him a little bit more than it has affected other fighters. So, you know, the, is the is the story over for him? no. But do I see him ever being a championship contender at this point? I believe he's 15 and nine. Uh, he did win his last fight, but I think the you know that periphery seven to 15 range is where we're going to see him uh, for the remainder of his career at 85. So, yeah, to answer your great question, Cody or Gator, as it were, uh, I got to go with Uriah Hall on that one. So, thank you for asking the question, buddy. Um, so our next question comes from Ken, also known as Mr. Tittlewinks, and he asks... Recently, Aldo dropped down a weight class, and now uh, Barboza, Barboza is dropping 10 pounds. It looks like they can't get over the hump at their weight class and are dropping a weight class to try and fast-track a shot to the title. Do you feel like it's better for these fighters later in their careers to cut the extra weight and try to get a size advantage, or do you think it's smarter for a fighter to sacrifice their size and fight at a heavier weight class? Uh, Ken, I cannot stress this enough, I, and I've thought about this at length, and we've actually talked about it previously. I hate when a fucking fighter later in their career drops a weight class. I know part of me is the, is the boxer in me, right? As a fighter in boxing, as they get older, they always go up. They never go down a weight class, okay? That's just simple biology, right? I'm not a scientist, but if we're talking about everybody we've ever known in the history of the world, as you get older, right, humans evolve and they fill out. Men usually in the torso and the shoulders, women in the lower body, and weight cutting is always terrible for you, okay? The kidneys in particular. Ask Daniel Cormier about the Olympic trials, what happened to his kidneys. The, the majority of guys who have died in the sport have died from weight cutting. I'm talking about MMA, not boxing. Have died from weight cutting problems, not the actual fights themselves. Weight cutting is a horrible thing, and that's a, that's a topic for another show. I hate, hate it when fighters who are... You know, let's say they've had 10 or 15 fights at 155. Then they decide to drop to 145. I think it's dangerous. I think the end does not justify the means in doing that. When I hear about a fighter, like we're talking about Barboza on this one or Aldo recently, who has already had a ton of fights at one weight class dropping down, it concerns me for their health. The, the narrative for me no longer becomes, oh, gosh, I can't wait to see this fight. It's me worried about what kind of fighter are we going to see that night. 
we see them so depleted and so gaunt and so gray and looking terrible on the scales. It concerns me to the point where I'm no longer interested in the fight as it's going to happen because I think we're going to get a shitty version of said fighter. So to me, again, I fucking hate it when a guy, specifically somebody over 30, decides to drop a weight class later. I think it's a terrible idea. I much prefer to see a guy jump up a weight class. I feel like you are at all systems go. You are well-fed. You are well-hydrated. Your muscles are good. You're feeling tip-top shape. You're going to have a really good performance. So, yes, it really bothers me when I see somebody drop a weight class. So that's my answer on that one. Thank you very much for asking, sir. I appreciate all your time and effort. Okay, our next question comes from our homie at Unsolicited Fight Picks, and he asks... Yay. Create your fantasy UFC PPV lineup. Can only use two championship fights. Also, are you binge-watching anything? Oh, the homie at Unsolicited Fight Picks. And you heard Bailey say yay. Bailey has a real affinity for my homie at Unsolicited, and why wouldn't she? It's so good, right? <laughs> so absolutely. Um, to answer the question, unsolicited, my fantasy pay-per-view lineup would be only if I only get two belts that I can use. There's gonna be a lot of catch weights, okay? So full disclosure, I'm using some catch weights, and now I decided to do this regardless of uh, regardless of which promotion you fight for, right? So the first one, it's obvious, right? It's Habib and Tony. Thank God, this is actually it looks like it's actually gonna happen. These are the two best 155ers to ever put on a pair of gloves in the octagon. Every every bit of information that feeds into my head says this is going to be a phenomenal fight. I can't wait to see it. So, yes, even though it's actually happening, I would for sure put that as the headliner for the 155-pound belt as my fantasy pay-per-view main event. Co-main event, I got Fedor and Stipe. Now, I know I talked about this a little bit last show. He's my favorite heavyweight fighter of all time, Fedor, that is. He's the GOAT at heavyweight. He, I don't see anybody who can make a real hard argument otherwise. So what we would have is we would have the GOAT heavyweight, granted, later in his career, maybe lost a step or two, maybe not, going against the guy who has the record for the most consecutive title defenses at heavyweight, even though it's only three, that automatically, to me, makes him the best current heavyweight, plus he's the champ, obviously. Stipe and Miocic, I would love to see the two of them go. That would for sure be my co-main event. Moving down the list, we got John Jones and Israel Adesanya at a 200-pound catchweight. No titles on the line. This is a fight that everybody wants to see. They've been trash-talking each other. They are both super long, lanky, phenomenal strikers. Jones definitely has the advantage on the ground. Uh, Izzy, I think it's kind of a push you know, on the feet, but who wouldn't want to see that fight? Everyone's clamoring for it. That would definitely be the next fight down uh, on my fantasy card, as it were. Now, this next one may be a little bit of a curveball for some of you folks, but I've actually got A.J. McKee versus Max Blessed Holloway. A.J. McKee has been a storm over there in Bellator, the 145-pound division. He is a second-generation pro MMA fighter. The kid has literally all the tools that you could possibly want to have, sharp as fucking weapons, ready to go. He has rocked it over there at Bellator. Max Holloway, longtime featherweight champion, just recently lost to Volkanovski, lost his belt. What a fight that could be, I think, right? Both lanky, both strikers' delight would keep it on the feet. I know they would keep it on the feet and just give the fans exactly what they would want to see, and that would be a war. What would it benefit Max? 
He would be putting down another young stud coming up through the ranks. What could it benefit for AJ? It would be his, you know, his foyer into the big time, right? If he came over to the UFC, he would have way more eyes on him. And this would be his first real test of a top-tier talent at his prime. And the watch of those two go would just be amazing. So for me, the next fight down would be AJ McKee versus Max Bless Express. Choo-choo! And we'd have to wait and see what happened. Uh, next, we've got, I talked about the show last week, too, would be Kayla fucking Harrison. Boo, Kayla, boo. Going against Amanda the Lioness Nunez. And this would be, again, just for me. This is what I want to see for me. I want to see Amanda piece up Kayla. I'm not a fan of Kayla. I don't like her attitude. I know a lot of us probably watched that vignette that was running around uh, MMA Twitter recently where she was talking about how she like talked down to Rosenstrike when he came to when he came to get some sparring in and she was just a real asshole, dude. And that was even and I even said I didn't like her before I saw that. Once I saw that, that even clinched it even more. Not a fan of Kayla. I would love to see a catch weight at 150 and Amanda just beat the piss out of her uh from bell to bell. I don't know if she'd finish her or not. I think she would. I do think Kayla, because her judo was so amazing with her uh Olympic background, I do think she would get Amanda in a few We'll call it precarious positions, right? But I think Amanda eventually would start piecing her up, beat her up on the feet, get her out of there, maybe late third round because it would only be a three-rounder because no title would be on the line. So 150 catch weight, that's a fight I would love to see. Maybe Kayla Harrison would learn to be a little bit more humble in her approach to MMA because, for me, a lot of it is is respect. And I know for a lot of my listeners, it's about respect as well. She's not showing it very much lately. So, yeah, I'm sure Amanda could beat some respect into her, you know. Um, the last one on the main card, this would be the Conor McGregor versus Jorge Masvidal at a 165-pound catchweight. It's no secret I'm not a fan of Conor McGregor. I've never been a fan of his. I don't like the way he talks. I don't like his tactics. I don't like how he says things with such passion and then later whispers to me, it's just business. It's just business. So he's not, he's not authentic, right? If you want to talk about authenticity, Jorge Masvidal is the pinnacle of a person who is authentic, right? I love the guy, a longtime veteran. I'd love to see that fight. I really, really would. The lead up would be great. Both great talkers, both guys who mean business, you know, when they get into the cage, I think Jorge and Connor would just have a stand-up battle. I really do. I think it'd be a back-and-forth battle. I'm not sure who would win. I would want George to win, but Connor's got that devastating left hand. So again, that would that would actually round out the uh, the fantasy pay-per-view card if I could have one this year and do the main card myself. So uh, unsolicited once again. I thank you. I know Bailey thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> for that question. So uh, moving on to the second part of your question was, am I binge watching anything? Uh, no, I'm not binge watching anything in the moment, but uh, Bailey and I have been talking about planning on doing Rescue Me, at least seasons one and two here in the near future. Uh, I loved that show. It was on FX when it was originally airing. So, uh, and Bailey's a volunteer firefighter, so I know she would uh, be into it as well. So yeah, we're definitely planning on doing Rescue Me seasons one and two. Uh, that's definitely the, the the plan for the next binge watch. You're excited about watching that, aren't you, Bail? Dennis Leary is amazing in it. Great cast, great storyline. This was one of FX's first big, you know, foyers into the original series. So, yeah, that's going to be what we're going to binge watch, I think, together next. So, thank you for the two-parter, my dude. Question number five comes from Derek Lewis Hotballs, and she asks, What is your most infuriating MMA moment? For me, Zombie decisively beating Yair the entire 
entirety of the fight until that insane Hail Mary KO was gutting. Then his team stated they had no idea that Zombie was winning that fight, so they told him to go all out in the last round, turn me purple with anger. He left that team after that, thank goodness. Yeah, dude, that was fucked up. Yeah, the Korean Zombie beat Yair Rodriguez bell to bell, and then with fucking what, like two seconds left, three seconds left, that incredible backwards, upward strike elbow that KO'd the Korean Zombie. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, for me, I've been infuriated a lot over the years, right, by MMA, by decisions, by what I thought was going to happen and it didn't, what was happening, and then turned on his dime, just like an example that you just had with the TKZ uh, yeah, your Rodriguez, El Pantera fight. Uh, but what I came up with was the eight-second KO from Conor McGregor over Jose Aldo. I spent a lot of time, and I know a lot of you did too, watching the buildup, right? The promotional tour was several countries over X amount of weeks. All of that Conor shit talk that he's famous for. Uh, all the theatrics, the grabbing the belt at that one press conference, tearing up all those pictures at a uh, Brazilian bar in front of everybody, him learning how to say uh, you're dead in Portuguese and saying it to Jose all the time. Just all of that buildup, dude, all the vignettes, the countdown. I was so fired up. Now, I thought this was going to be a in-cage war for the ages, back and forth the whole time, Aldo kicking the shit out of Connor's legs, Connor cracking him with that beautiful left hand. I thought this was a 50-50 fight, and I thought the fans were guaranteed an amazing show. I didn't know if Jose was going to win. I didn't know if Connor was going to win, but my God, I knew it was recipe for violence. And what happens? <laughs> the bell rings. Jose comes screaming across the cage. They both throw hands. Connor gets a little you know, baby shot from Aldo, and at the same time landed a beautiful, crisp left hand that immediately shut the lights off for Jose Aldo, put him out. He came back to you fairly soon, but hey, the fight was over, dude. You absolutely lost. Connor beat you in eight seconds, and it was over. I was so fucking pissed. I know Jose was too. I know he wanted to exact a few measures of revenge, right, for all of the the shit talk, but yay, dude, you got to be able to back it up. And he made the bad mistake of letting Connor get between his ears and getting him all riled up. So he just ran across the cage, you know, all willy nilly and he got fucking planted. So that was probably the most infuriating thing because I wanted to see, I, I thought Connor might win, but I wanted to see Connor at least get beat up some. Right. So yeah, that was fucked up. I hated that dude. That was, that was definitely the most, the most infuriated I think I've ever been in the uh, MMA game. Thank you very much for asking that question, my homie from across the pond. Uh, next, we've got uh, a question number six is from Chelsea OMFG from, by the way, The Amazing. They have a brand new podcast called the TKO Podcast, T-E-A, like what's the T-Sys plus the K-O. Those two are phenomenal. If you guys, have, uh, if you guys haven't checked it out, you definitely got to check it out. Chelsea, what is her question, Bailey? Your fantasy booking for this year so far. This one's awesome, and it's and it's easy for me. And uh, the aforementioned, um, the eagle, man, Habib versus Tony, that's the one that we've all wanted to see, has been made three or four times previously, has never worked out. We are finally, now again, we still have it until April, but I'm hoping, like I said before, that the MMA gods are shining upon us and that we can actually get these two incredible, talented athletes at 155 to go in for the belt. Um, you want to talk about 
talent level. You want to talk about the title on the line. You want to talk about a multitude of skill sets, the fan interest. It's all there, right? You got an American versus Russian. You have, you know, an undefeated guy against a guy on an 11-fight win streak. There, Every possible angle you would want to see this is there. So that's definitely the fight that's been made. That's the one I would made if I had one choice that I could do one fight. Absolutely. Great question, Chelsea. Thanks so much. And once again, check out the TKO podcast. Our next question is from my homie on the West Coast, Mrs. Twinkle Nugs, a.k.a. at Pokemama. And she asks, Chris Cyborg is scheduled to fight in her Bellator debut this month against Julia Budd on January 25th. Say she loses. What's next for her? Say she wins. What happens then? Rematch with Nunez and a UFC Bellator crossover? I mean, I'm not mad at it. Feels like a lot of her fans fell off the wagon when she went to Bellator, or maybe it's just me overthinking. Yeah, the first part on this one was was a great question. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Twinklenux, for asking it. I think Cyborg does beat Julia Budd, and then I think she's going to hold the Bellator title for several defenses. I think at that point, Cyborg will become one of the main faces of Bellator. I mean, Scott Coker has some, some named people in it, right? But I don't think any of them really holds the same star power, at least the crossover star power, that that Chris Cyborg does. I mean, she was in the ESPN body issue. She was in the UFC for a long time. She was the star of Strike Force when it was that organization time to be on Showtime. So she is a long time, very marketable, uh, very well-known entity in the MMA world. So he's going to be a smart man and he's going to make sure that he puts her in the best possible position to win and be a star for a while. So I don't see... Any sort of Bellator UFC crossover, I don't want to say ever because you can't say ever in this business, but I'm definitely saying not in the near future. Uh, Dana sees Bellator as like the B-minus version of the UFC, and he would feel like, and he said something, you know, I'm paraphrasing, he said something similar to this, it would devalue his product, right? I also think that there's no way that Cyborg wants that smoke. For a second time with Nunes, um, she was the most powerful, most devastating striker for a long time. Uh, until Amanda came on the scene and Amanda started knocking folks out. So, yeah, I don't think she wants Nunes again. I think she wants to be the star of stars over Bellator, and she can be. She can be the entire face of the women's division, and they're probably in their top three most recognizable stars that they have over there for a long time to come. So that's my answer for the first part. Uh, the second part comes from also from uh, Pokemama91, and it reads, Chen Sung Jung said that if a title shot isn't an option, that he has a few other matchups. He's, he said he would like to face either Max, Ortega, or Zabit. Who do you think is the best matchup between the three? If if the TKZ doesn't get the match with Volkanovski, which I believe he's earned, and then our our three other options for him to face would be Max, Zabit, or Ortega, gosh, man, I, it's really hard for me to say because I think that I think that he deserves a title shot, so that's hard for me to kind of go back on it. But if I had to see one, I would definitely want to see him face Max because, A, we haven't seen it. B, it would be a fucking barn burner. And you kind of elaborate a little bit on your question. You think it would be a stand-up war and a bloody mess and jab fest, and you're absolutely right. It would be great. I do see that being one of those fights where it could go either way. Uh, but for me, if I'm doing kind of, I talked about this on a previous show, I kind of want to see a round robin where I would actually like to see the Korean zombie get Volk and then Zabit and Max fight for the number one contendership. And then the winners fight the winners, right? That's how to, that's how I see it play out. But 145 is so deep. It's such a division of killers. 
TKZ could win any day of the week. Max could win any day of the week. I think Zabit could. I think Ortega is a little bit of a step below them, at least right now. We're going to have to wait and see what kind of Ortega we get, uh, what kind of T-City we get coming back from this injury of his. So he's got a little bit of ground to make up. But, yeah, those other three plus Volk, I mean, come on, dude. You want to talk about, like, a phenomenal, like, a final four if I was going to compare it to, like, NCAA basketball. That's exactly what it is. Those guys are phenomenal. I would love to see if TKZ doesn't get Volk, I guess Max would be the next logical step for me. But, yeah, that's a great question. Thank you for asking the two-parter. Super awesome. Uh, So, actually, we're going to move on to our question number seven, which comes from the homie Dave Fretz, which is actually a voice question. So, Dave, go ahead and take it away. Hey, Rhino, what's up? It's your boy Dave Fretz, at Dave Fretz on Twitter and Instagram, or at Solo Shoes on Twitter and Instagram. Got one for you today. Wondering what your thoughts are on a 165-pound weight division in the UFC. We know that uh, Dana White has said no, but uh, he said no before to a few things. Biggest example is uh, no women fighting in the UFC. Do you think it's uh, it's possible? Can it, can it be supported? Do we have enough support for that? There's a lot of chatter about it, but just like to hear your thoughts if it's something you think should happen or if we should just stay 155 up to 170. Peace. Uh, thanks very much, man. Keep pushing the great content. Love your show. Shout out to my Twitter fam, MMA Twitter. Love you guys. My man, Dave Fretz. I mean, what a friend of the show you've been, buddy. Can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Um, to answer your question, a 165 division could be really fantastic, right? There are so many guys in that 55 to 70 range that, you know, has been, they've both been so deep for so long. I really just got, I mean, my mind was just kind of going off the tracks with how many cool matchups there could be at 165. The, the, the it would be an easy transition to make, right? Just make 170, 175. So instead of 170, it's 175. Then you've got 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, and 85. And then there's the jump to 205 and then heavy at 265. So for me, it's almost a no brainer to have it be that way. I know Dana is a traditionalist. He doesn't want to fuck with the format, but dude, we we have to evolve. The sport is evolving. We have to evolve with it. I think a 165 pound division would be great. I think there could be a lot of fun matchups that could be made. You could have a new fucking champion. So you can include another championship belt throughout the week. I'm um, throughout the week, throughout the year, maybe a couple times. So yeah, I'm totally for it. I, I think that Kevin Lee would be who I think right now would probably be my who I think would be maybe one of the front runners for 165. Now, that's not including letting Habib fight for it. So, yeah, I'd like to see some new blood. I'd like to see uh, maybe Kevin Lee would be a really good possibility for a, for the inaugural 165-pound champion should they make that division. Now, I cannot talk about weight classes without being a curmudgeon that I am and saying that I want the women's 145 division to go away. It's so talent dry. It's so shallow of a pool. Make 105 Adam Weight the division for the UFC women's, a uh, new UFC women's division. And then you can have Invicta completely be your feeder. Invicta has a great 105 women's division. Lots of talent, lots of new female fighters coming in. And it's fantastic. And they should be the best feeder into the UFC. So. Not another 145. All the best female fighters at 145, well, except for Amanda pretty much, are in Bellator. Skip it 145. Get rid of it. Bring in the fucking 105ers for the ladies. Put in a 165 division for the men. Move the 170 to 175. And you got yourself 
rolling real nice as far as I'm concerned. So, Dave, once again, thank you so much for the question, my brother. Uh, what a friend of the show. Big shout-out to you, my man. What a talented artist, dude. Everybody check out his stuff. He puts these graphics on shoes. The dude is unbelievably talented. So check him out. Our second voice question comes from a main man, Jim Asun, holding down Niagara Falls like only he can. Uh, Jim, let's go ahead and take it away. Right on my man. It's Jim. How's it going, big guy? All right, I have a question for you. UFC 246. What's your thoughts on the main event? And what's your thoughts on the uh, increase on the pay-per-view? I know it's whack for you guys. We already paid out here in Canada, so it ain't going up for me. But anyways, I want to get your thoughts on that. Happy New Year. Keep up the great work. It's always 420. The big homie Jim. So, Jim, I know and I appreciate you giving a two-parter there, buddy. Uh, the first one I'm actually going to hold off on going into on part one because um, – I'm actually going to be doing all of next week's show just about that event. So I'm going to hold off on part one. Part two, well, so stay tuned for that one, buddy. Part two is to be no surprise to anyone. I think it's fucking lame, okay? The sport is exploding globally. There is so much revenue coming in. The ESPN deal, the Reebok deal, tons of celebrities having minority ownerships. Raising the pay-per-view price is only going to have ill effects on your longtime fans. It's going to drive up illegal stream usage for sure. On a personal note, it's going to force me to go to B-dubs more often than I normally do and endure a 100 drunk casuals spouting off their genius hot takes like, why don't the guy just knock him out? Or... Just take him down, because it's so easy to do. And my, my personal favorite is, <laughs> excuse me, let me try to get my best drunk guy voice on it. <clears throat> oh, I could totally kick this guy's ass in a fight. Oh, the horror of it all. Good Lord. So, no, I am not stoked on it. It's fucking lame, Dana. It's fucking lame, ESPN. We're already paying out the ass for so many things. Raising the price is bullshit. And by the way, I did not know that about you guys in Canada that you're already paying the extra five bucks on the pay-per-views, which is also bullshit. I'm sorry for you to my homies from across the water, dude. I'm, that's bullshit. But yeah, to me, it's a fucking dick move. He's just going to alienate people who are trying to be loyal to him. I don't see it. It's bullshit. That's my take on that. So those are some great questions that uh, we got asked by my very, very close homies on MMA Twitter. Uh, a new part of the show, which was suggested by the owners of my gym, Julio and Christy, when I spoke with them the other day. They suggested I put a question out and then read off some of the responses, which I thought was a great idea. So uh, yesterday on MMA Twitter, I asked, hey, everyone in the MMA Twitter fam, if you could choose any three techniques, one from any fighter ever, to build a fighter, what would they be? For me, it's GSP's jab, Anderson Spider Silva's head movement, and Jose Aldo's leg kicks. And then I said I'd love to read some answers on my show tomorrow. So what what it started out was well, just what I said. So I was looking for one technique from each fighter. What it kind of devolved into was people taking over uh, entire technique, not just techniques, but entire styles. So what started out with like you know, Jose Aldo's leg kicks became like Habib's wrestling, right? So maybe it's on me. I wasn't specific enough that I just wanted one technique because when you use a whole style, it kind of takes away from some of the creativity. But again, I appreciate everybody who um, 
everybody who participated. I was overwhelmed with with responses. So I'm going to read a few of them. Um, my homie Jake Davis at Irish Jake MMA or Jake Irish MMA, excuse me, said prime Aldo leg kicks, GSP's jab, and then prime Chael's trash talk. I don't know if that's a technique, Jake, but I'm for it. I'm with it. Chael's trash talk back in the day was amazing. Uh, the homie Buggo at Bugots, which is B-U-G-G-O-T-S, replied GSP's takedown, GSP's jab, and then Pat Barry's leg kicks, which in the heavyweight division were probably the best we'd ever saw, right? Um, and again, we kind of moved into a lot of people talking about specific, not specific techniques, but actual styles. We got a lot of Romero's wrestling. We got a lot of Habib's wrestling, uh, Barboza's kicks, uh, Connor's counters, uh, Colby's conditioning, which again, it would definitely be a, would be a, a technique that I would actually absolutely implore. He has some of the best that MMA has ever seen. Mirko Krokop's kicking, BJ Penn's jab. Uh, JDS's overhand right, which I love that one. Uh, Dominic Cruz footwork, my God. It doesn't get much better than him. Uh, Dusty Andrews at fight underscore expert had blades, as in Curtis Blades takedown. Maya's back control and Musasi's jab, all of which right on par with what I was asking for. Fantastic answer. So great job on that one. Thank you. Um, there was a lot of really good responses to this. And then, like I said, there was a few that were trying to be really funny, which some of them were funny, like – Cabbage's ability to take headshots and Trey Telegman's ability to make people ignore that he had <laughs> ignore the fact that he had no chest. I don't want to make fun of Trey Telegman, right? I, th- I think he, I don't know if he was born with it or if it was surgically removed, but he is legitimately missing like an entire pectoral muscle. So his chest does look concaved, which I'm sure a lot of newer fans are not familiar with him. But a former Lions Den fighter over there with Ken Shamrock and Vernon Tiger White and those guys, but Trey Telegman, man, shout out to what was this guy's name? Shout out to looking at him. MMA or dad bro at looking at MMA that was fucking hilarious so good on you my friend um <laughs> my boy juice from the fight with myself podcast also kind of went a little overboard with not just choosing one technique but choosing a style he had Ngannou's power which my god who would want that DC's wrestling and Ryan Hall's jiu-jitsu again all fantastic ones uh my boy at MMA Milliken had striking Anderson Silva Gas tank and durability, Nick Diaz. Ground game, Hicks and Gracie. I mean, wow. <laughs> those, are, those are great picks, too. So, again, I want to thank everybody for participating in that. There was a slew of them, but, again, it kind of it kind of evolved into something different than I was looking for exactly, but who am I to say, man? I'm so appreciative that anybody responded at all. I'm so appreciative you guys are listening to the show. So uh, here's where we talk about why we are careening towards the end of our show. I got a few shout-outs to give. Everybody who asked a question on MMA Twitter today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. I mean, really, especially on a weekend like this where we had no fights, where the landscape was a goddamn desert with the tumbleweed. I tweeted at uh, Shay My Name. I met Shannon, though, the, the gif of the <laughs> the dust bowl, you know what I mean? Of the, uh, what do you call it? Tumbleweed going across the empty plane because that's what it was this weekend for us fight fans. But... All of your great questions made the show happen, made us be able to put on what I thought was a really fun and cool, interesting way of doing a show this week. Uh, Shout-outs not only to the people who ask questions, but to my homies, Mr. B, 
Drea, my new homie Serious King, uh, McSticky Man, who uh, gave up me and a bunch of other really good podcasts a shout out. That it was so cool of you, dude. Really, uh, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You're a you're a Midwest homie, and uh, we really we love having you on, dude. Uh, Deja, the show wouldn't be what it is without you. Marquise at Weak Sauce Radio, my dude, my boxing, my boxing homie, my guru of boxing, my guy. I really appreciate all your support and help, my friend. So, um, once again, man, that's going to do it for us here at Combat Sports with Rhino. Um, our show next week is going to be is going to be all about UFC 246. It may be a day or two delayed because my dear, essential, amazing, professional, unbelievably talented engineer D. Reigns is going to be in Florida with his beautiful, wonderful wife, Brooke. So we maybe have a day or two of delay, but we are for sure going to be out next week with our next week's show doing a complete overview of UFC 246, including predictions. I believe the Sibling Rivalry podcast and I are going to be doing a uh, contest against each other about who has the most right picks. And then also Tuesday night, the Pure Evil MMA is putting on a Skype uh, trivia tournament, for lack of a better term, about MMA, which I'll be participating in against uh, Irish Jake MMA and a couple other guys, uh, Juice, I know. I think Uma Plata, I believe, is the other guy. Uh, so, yeah, we're looking forward to that. So you'll keep uh, keep an eye on MMA Twitter for the results of that one. And once again, thank you so much for tuning in this week to Combat Sports with Rhino. Bailey, say goodbye to the people. Bye, guys. We love, love, love you. Check in on MMA Twitter with Combat Sports with Rhino, and we will see you next week. We'll be right back.